You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. And uh, their roots were getting shaken by a few misunderstandings. So their pastor, Epaphras, actually traveled uh, from his town of Colossae to the city of Rome where Paul was in prison. And this six-year-old church in Colossae had a pastor that cared enough to travel, uh, you know, pretty far to get some instruction from his mentor, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was under house arrest. He was actually in prison at this time awaiting a trial. And uh, Epaphras needed counsel. And what Paul did is he responded by writing this letter. And then he sent this letter back. Epaphras stayed with Paul for a while, but they sent the letter on ahead. We're going to talk about that as we wrap up. The main themes in the entire book of Colossians is what it means to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. The first half is all about the root system. It's all about what we believe, the things in our heart and our mind, how we look at Christ and and how that affects our faith. And uh, we took a look, Colossians does, uh, it takes a look at the real Jesus, the the real gospel. and, And then the second half of Colossians moves into the fruit system. And that's how what we believe affects how we live. And it talked about our friends. It talked about our family. It talked about our marriage. Last week, we talked about work. And ironically, some of you guys hardly went to work this week because of the snow. I mean, I was like, get out there last Sunday and let's do this. Let's work for Jesus. And then closings, yeah. And, and, And then Tuesday, like, please again. And uh, some of you guys, you got the opportunity to work at home this week. So tomorrow, you get to put uh, put last week's message into play. If you uh, need to refresh on it, go ahead and look it up online and listen to it. Download the notes. It was a challenge from the Apostle Paul. uh, Basically, how a new life in Christ affects every area of our life. So today, we're going to talk about the last one. Our, Our theme verse is in Colossians 2. Verse 6 and 7, let's take a look at it. It says, Then, so then, just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue. Everybody say, continue. Continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. He says, Now that you've given your life to Jesus, keep growing. He says, continue to grow, continue to get rooted, get grounded in God's word, get grounded in what you believe, get grounded in how this changes and affects your life. Now that you've given your life to Christ, let your life reflect that rooted in Christ relationship that you have. So he says, continue, grow, get built up, be strengthened in what you were taught. Stay strong in what you're taught, which means you also have to be willing to be teachable. All right, so he says, grow. Being in Christ starts with an internal change and it leads to our personal life and eventually spreads to the world. Today, we're going to talk about how our fruit that drops off a healthy rooted tree changes the world. Today, how to share your life with others. Um, There's a couple of spiritual myths about evangelism and uh, there's a lot of different views of, of, of what it means to witness and and I got a really cool gift for Christmas. I got a, I got a megaphone. Whoop, whoop. And uh, <laughs> this is so awesome. I love my megaphone. And uh, it's got a siren on it. That's pretty fun, too. All right, let's be honest. Show of hands. How many of you guys would think it would be, like, totally cool to have a megaphone? Ha, <laughs> look at that. You know it. Ah. I got a, I got a megaphone for a Christmas, and uh, it's interesting about megaphones because a lot of times our, our evangelism is thought to be a guy on a corner shouting, you know, turn or burn, fly or fry, get right or get left behind. There's this sense... That somehow we think that preaching is a guy standing on a corner with a megaphone shouting and yelling. Sometimes that guy on the corner with a megaphone is angry, is mean, is harsh, is unloving, is judgmental, saying terrible things about people. 
saying harsh and mean things about people, emphasizing the reality of hell. Hell is real, but it is the, the Bible says, it is your kindness, O Lord, that leads us to repentance. That's what the Bible says. Not a fear of hell leads us to repentance. Because when someone gives their life to Christ based on a fear factor of hell, they believe they're buying a, a ticket to heaven. And it's not based on a love relationship that God has for us and we have for them. It's more of a selfish kind of decision to to save, you know, get out of jail card. And that's not what evangelism is. Sometimes we think that it's a, it's wearing a t-shirt. There's nothing wrong with wearing Christian t-shirts, but I'm going to be an evangelist today. God's gym. Remember all those like the, 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 the t-shirts that were kind of all kind of funny. The, you know, the, instead of Reebok it says reborn, you know, those kind of parody t-shirts and, uh, some, or, oh man, this is what drives me crazy. The Christian mints, you know, they have them at like Christian bookstores and, and uh, it's a testament and they have these mints and, and the, the package has a verse on it. And some of the mints will have a verse on it. You know, like little hearts you get for Valentine's, you know, be mine. It'll say John 3, 16. Testament. I'm going to let, I'm not going to speak, but I'm going to let my mint do all the talking for me. There's this sense that somehow we think we're being evangelistic by sharing a, that mint is born again, that Christian mint. Uh, or a bumper sticker, you know, I, there's nothing wrong with testaments. There's nothing wrong with t-shirts, not, nothing wrong with bumper stickers. But we cannot assume that just slapping a, you know, no Jesus, no peace, you know, is not going to uh, uh, save the world. It's not a bumper sticker or, you know, we, we have this old school door to door and uh, there's nothing wrong with door to door. But half the time it's a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness or some little tiny Baptist church, you know. That's, that's trying to, to uh, convert me out of my non-Baptist background. <laughs> or somehow there's other churches that see evangelism as the dangling carrot. They'll, they'll say, don't you want to be rich? Come on, don't you want to be rich? Don't you want to be wealthy? Don't you want to be blessed? You want, you want your marriage fixed? Come on, here's Jesus, come on. And somehow we, we treat Jesus like he's some sort of carrot. You want to be healed? Come on, here's Jesus. And we somehow think that that's, you know, that Jesus will give us what we want. That evangelism is, is, is that hooking people up with, the, with, the, uh, with Santa Claus Jesus or the Coke machine Jesus, where if you just put in just the right formula of coins, then, and then you can get what you want. You can push the button and get what you want. Some of us also have, uh, have presented the evangelism method of, of four steps to knowing Jesus or four steps to close the deal, you know, three steps to win an argument, uh, how to shame somebody, you know, <laughs> how to um, uh, convince somebody. Uh, some, uh, you know, they will give it over to somebody else. They're like, hey, tell me about Jesus. Let me call my pastor. Maybe he can talk to you. Let me get a hold of my husband. Let me talk to one of my kids who their kids, they're in youth group. They just talked about this. And a lot of times we pass on that, that whole call to, to be a voice for Jesus to somebody else. So I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what it means to be someone who shares God's word with others. What is it? What the Bible calls evangelism is misrepresented. And here's the question you need to ask. Is it actually possible to do? Is it something, if the Bible says, which it does, that every one of us in this room, I should say not everyone in this room because some of you have not bowed the knee to Christ and you're on a journey to know Jesus. But if you have become a Christian, then it is your calling to be a missionary to the world. You have been called. In fact, our next series starting next Sunday is called Move. And the entire series is going to be about how to share your faith with the people around you. And we're going to talk about uh, what it means, how to do it. We're going to talk about uh, the differences in world religions and cults. We're going, to, we're going to cover a big range of how-tos based on how the scripture gives us examples and models. There's not just one way. There's no formula. There's no like three steps to win an argument, three steps to, you know, the Roman road, all, the, all these kind of things. There, there's not one way to do this, but there is only one way Jesus Christ for the answer. 
So we're going to talk about the difference and help you to move out of your chair across the room to talk to somebody or maybe even across the street or across the lot line to your neighbor. In the book of Colossians, the very last chapter, Paul challenges the readers to to make a, a noise for Jesus, to get on the megaphone. And he's not saying get on the street corner and shout obscenities at people and to to be harsh. He's actually going to give us some really helpful information. Uh, I'm just curious, how many of you, how many of you, if you are a Christ follower, came to know Christ through someone you know? Okay, just say, you know, it's somebody I know, mom, a dad, a friend, um, you know, a relationship in your life. Go ahead and raise your hand. If you are a follower of Christ, I'm just curious, show of hands. You came to know Christ through someone you know, mom, dad, friend, brother, sister, you know, coworker. All right, that's, that's good. That's the majority of you. The majority of you here came to know Christ through a relationship. Today, the Apostle Paul focuses on the relationship factor of how to lead someone to know Jesus. Just as Jesus was leaving his disciples, he told them to go and tell everyone to make disciples. That means reproduce yourself. He told the disciples, go make disciples. Disciple means follower. So he says, disciples of Christ, disciples, followers of me, go make followers of me. He didn't say lead them in a prayer. He didn't say convert them. He didn't say, you know, get them to go to church. He said, make followers of me. And that was for all of us, not just the disciples. We are a disciple. Because somebody discipled us. Paul reminds us that we are all, all are called to be missionaries. So let's jump in where we left off last week. Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for us uh, for our message, so that we may proclaim the ministry of Christ for which I am in chains. He's writing in prison because he was in a culture that was hostile to Jesus. They felt that the message of Jesus was, would kind of mess up their system of looking at the culture and the world. And they didn't like it. So uh, they tried to tell him to be quiet. And many of the disciples said, we can't keep what God has called us to proclaim to ourselves. We must proclaim it. So they were all often uh, arrested. In fact, of the 12 main disciples, uh, one of them was replaced after Judas. Out of those 12 all but one were martyred. That means put to death for their faith. Paul eventually had his head cut off. That was considered the humane way to die. Uh, Peter, who uh, was not a Roman citizen, was crucified upside down. Christ was crucified right side up. He didn't want to be crucified like his Lord, so he requested to be crucified upside down. Paul, on the other hand, was not only Jewish, but he was a Roman citizen. So a humane way to kill a Roman citizen was having your head cut off in that culture because it was immediate. Crazy culture. Well, Paul is in prison right now waiting a trial. He says, uh, you know, pray that I can be bold while I'm still here in prison. He says, I pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So three keys to sharing your life. All right, we're just going to three things. And then we're going to talk about some things underneath one of those. Uh, the first thing is this, and I'm not talking about uh, you know, pat answers. This is not about, uh, you know, memorizing verses and stuff. This is about how you can make an impact in people's lives. And the first thing is this, is be prepared to pray. Be prepared to pray. Some of you guys, uh, you want to make a difference at work. You want to make a difference in your home. You want your friends to know what Christ is doing in you and how much he loves them. Be prepared to pray. You've got to pray. I'm not talking, this isn't about being prepared for Bible school, being prepared for going to a seminary or having to know a bunch of the Bible or reading up a bunch of books. This is be prepared by praying, by praying. In Colossians 3, it says, pray for us that God may open a door for our message so that we can proclaim the mystery of Christ or the message of Christ. He says, be prepared. Two parts. Be prepared to pray. And that means there are people all around you that you know that do not know Jesus Christ. So pray that God will give you an opportunity to talk to them. 
pray, God, give me a door. God, give me uh, the opportunity. Uh, help me to, to have a moment where I get to talk to my friend. God, give me a moment where I get to talk to my boss or to my coworker or to my son or to my uh, wife or husband or to my friend. God, give me a door. Give me an opportunity. You know, uh, when I was a, uh, a young person, when I was... No, 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 no. I was 17 years old and I was a waiter and uh, half the week and I was a cook the other half of the week at a restaurant called Big Daddy's Lakeside Grill in Rowlett. And uh, it was on uh, Highway 66 in Rowlett. And uh, I was a young person, man, and I loved Jesus, man. At 17, I was uh, one of those uh, just on fire young people. And every day, man, this is not a joke. Every day, uh, I worked at that job for nearly a year and a half to two years. And every day I was on my face with my face on the ground in my carpet, praying that God would open a door for me at work every day. And it didn't happen for a year. And then one day, Friday night, and I worked with like people that were really hard to get along with, real difficult to get along with, very perverted and dirty. And, you know, and I was, man, I loved them because Man, I, the love of Christ was compelling me to be kind and generous and patient. And, and I just loved them. And uh, one night we were closing. It was like 2 in the morning. And the guy who I was closing with was my least favorite person to work with. And he just, we never really got along because he was just so in a different place than I was in his life. And But he was about my age. And, and he said, uh, "Why? what is it about you that you always are so positive. You always have a good attitude. What is, and I, and I said, man, and they, they, I've talked to them about Jesus before. And, uh, I said, well, you know, this is Jesus. You know, I just, I just want to do my best for Christ. You know, this goes kind of goes back to what we talked about last week and how being a person who's a good, uh, person at work and, and is an example at work, it makes a difference. It's a witness. And, and, uh, he started to talk and it was like, you know, one, two in the morning and I, we were, we wanted to talk some more, so we went to Putt-Putt. At the time, Putt-Putt was like open like 2, 3 in the morning. And uh, do you guys remember those days? Yeah. Went to the arcade, played Putt-Putt. We'd, uh, we'd go to the arcade, and uh, and then on the way back, I, you know, I, he let me drive, and I had I had my Christian rock tunes in the car. And uh, it, I was like, hey, it's my car. I'm going to listen to what I want to listen to. And uh, it didn't bother him, but on the way back, he started asking about the music, about the lyrics. And, and all of a sudden... Uh, we parked in front of his house, and this is this is the truth. We sat in front of his house for an hour and a half, and um, I gave him the entire gospel message, and I led him to Christ right there in that car, and he became one of my dearest friends. I was the best man in his wedding, and we ended up moving in together, and uh, and that following six months, we saw four other coworkers come to know Christ, but it was with a year, a little bit more than a year of praying every day, God. Open a door. God, open a door. So you got to be prepared to pray. The second thing he says, I pray that I might proclaim it clearly. God, I pray that I make sense. God, I pray that, God, I make you look good. God, I pray that I don't make you look foolish. Uh, He prayed for clarity. He didn't pray for the right answers. He prayed for clarity. You see, it's important that you understand what you believe and why. That's why this next series is going to be real important for you so that you can understand why and what you believe and so that you can give it to someone clearly. We must remember this. This is, this is important. This is the preparation. Pray. God, open the doors. Help me to say what I need to say. Let my words be your words. But you need to understand this, that reaching people or, you know, if we want to use the word saving people, uh, but reaching people for God is God's work, not yours. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth about sharing their faith. And this is what he says. There's a dispute over who's the better teacher. Uh, is Paul the better teacher? Is a guy named Apollos the better teacher? And uh, Paul kind of led them to Christ. And Apollo was kind of like their discipler. And put, people were like, man, I'm a follower of Paul. And another guy's like, I'm, I'm a follower of Apollos. And there was this big dispute in the church over who was the better guy to lead them. And uh, this is what Paul says. He says, he says, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Talking about himself in third person. He says, we're only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to 
each his own task. He says, I planted the seed. Apollos has watered the seed. But God, God made it grow. So neither, uh, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who makes things to grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose. That is to make Jesus famous. And each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and God's building. And God's building you. God's growing you. God is leading you. He says, you know what? Someone might be the person who introduces you to Christ. There might be another person come that helps you to grow and be discipled in Christ. He says, but really, it's all about Christ. So some of you are going, I got to save my friend. I got to save my sister. I got to save my coworker. Man, I got to tell him. I got to, you know what? You just be what Jesus was, a kind, compassionate, clear, loving, you know, and proclaim the truth with grace and patience, which we're going to talk about. And, and as you. As you let the Holy Spirit work in their life, you're going to see some amazing things happen, but it's not you. So the pressure's off. The pressure is off. You don't have to bear that burden of, I have to lead, I have to show, I have, you know, you just be Jesus around them and you speak like Jesus and treat them like Jesus would treat them and God will do the rest. Uh, It's like this. I want you to think about it like this. This might help you understand. A, a dad, uh, or it could be a mom, because, you know, my, my dad wasn't around to take me fishing. You know who took me fishing? My mama. Uh, but in this illustration, a dad taking his son fishing for the first time. You know, uh, if you've ever, take a look at this picture. This is kind of a cool picture. If you've ever, how many of you have ever gone fishing before? Okay. Is it, is it locking up? All right, don't oh, show this yet. Don't show it yet. No, 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 no. Show, show the picture. Okay? Um, there's a picture in the slideshow. Uh, some of us, we... This a, have you ever seen that video? All right. Some of us, we... You know, if you were ever a kid and your parents have ever taken you fishing, there's this sense that somehow I look at the fish I caught. But if you're a parent, you know, you didn't catch that fish. You know, it was your mom or your dad that reeled that fish in or helped you put their arms around you or hooked that bait, you know, or, or you know, took the fish off. The idea is that there's a sense of somehow we think that we did it, but the reality is that dad did it. Dad did the work and mom did the work. So I want you to, this is a, a, a viral video, super cute, three-year-old kid. His name is Teddy. Makes it that much more cuter. The video is called Teddy's First Fish. And uh, it's just a cute video, so check this out. Oh! Yes, ah! one though. I think you've got a fish. <gasps> Pull it up. Hey! That's a fishy. Bring it in. Hey! I got one. Can you touch them? You can you can touch them. Can you touch them? This is your first fish. Yeah, I catch them. What name is he? I don't know. What do you want to name him? Um, um, free. What do you want to name him? Free. Free? He's a nice fishy. He's beautiful. Can you touch him? Touch him, Dad. You can touch him. I'm, hold, I'm holding him up. I can't. Do you want to touch him? This is your first fish. You can pet him. Give him a little touch. <coughs> Just be pet, gent, gent, gentle. Does he like me? He likes you. I touched him. Okay, we're going to put him back in the water, okay? Okay. That's it. That's it. That's adorable. Little Teddy. I want a little Teddy. Uh, but there's this sense that somehow we think that, you know, when we see a friend come to know Christ, and it's my first fish. I did that. And, and Dad's going, um, sure. I caught the fish. We all know that. It's a beautiful picture. Uh, so let me challenge your thinking. Uh, God doesn't need you at all. He is self-sufficient, but yet he delights in letting us in letting us be a part 
of his story to lead people to know him. So uh, first thing is be prepared to pray and pray that God would open doors and pray that God would, would give you clarity. Here's the second thing that verse says. And it says this in Colossians 4, 5, it says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. So here's the challenge. Be wise towards others. Be wise in how you act. And uh, uh, that means uh, how you act, how you live, uh, the things that you do affect your ability to tell someone about Christ. Now, if, if you've blown it at work, if you've kind of, you know, lived a life that is unwise in front of your friends, uh, one of the greatest things you can do is from this day forward, be a new person in Christ. And then that change is what makes the difference. And they're like, whoa, what, how come you don't talk like that anymore? Well, you know what? God's really been working on me and he's changing me and he's convicting me. And I want to introduce you to someone who's, who's, who's changing my life forever. And you can use that change. See, a lot of it, we're afraid of change. You know, I talk to students and you're like, you know what? They're like, start off the year. I'm going to stand up for Jesus. And then like three months in the year, they, their witness goes down the tank and their, their foul mouth and their attitudes and actions. And a lot of them, they think, man, I can't wait till Christmas so I can come back and, and live for Jesus. And then all of a sudden they're, they're there in January. And then all of a sudden their witness tanks. And then they go, man, I can't wait till next fall. And they're waiting for that, like some sort of break for somebody to, to forget how you acted. You know, one of the greatest things you can do is change, be different. It's that change that will draw attention to what Christ is doing in you. Be wise in how you act. So if you've blown your witness at work or in your family, let that change be its own megaphone. Let that change be its own voice. He says this. Here's a couple of things about this one little sentence uh, that kind of stuck out to me is, The first thing is have intentional relationships. He says, be, be wise. But I want to focus on the word be. That means you need to purposely, intentionally reach out and be the kind of person, be that kind of relationship, engage with people. You need to intentionally be in relationship with people. We're not to live in a Christian bubble with our Christian, you know, magazines, with our Christian, you know, mints. And our Christian clothing and our Christian only, you know, lifestyle of entertainment and our only like little Christian like neighborhood and our own little Christian community and our own Christian language and our own Christian home. If we live in a bubble, how are we going to be a light in the world? We need to be intentional. We're so afraid the world will rub off on us. And as a result, we rarely rub off on the world. Paul assumes that they have friends with non-believers. But he says, here's the key. Make those friends intentional in your ability to tell someone about Christ. First Corinthians 9, he says this. He says, to the weak, I become weak. He says, to win the weak. He says, I become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may sharing its blessings. He says, he, he, in another part of the verse, he says, to a Jew, I'm going to focus on my Jewish heritage. To a Gentile, that's a non-Jew, I'm going to focus on my Roman heritage. He says, uh, to someone who's doing well in life, I'm going to focus on my background of, of doing well. If someone's struggling in life and, and poor, I'm going to focus on how uh, I've lived through the pain of, of poverty. You know, He says, I'm going to become weak to the weak. And so that I might reach the weak, he says, I'm going to try to be intentional about my relationships, find points of connection. And that's going to be the place where I'm going to allow God to intentionally use me to introduce a relationship with Christ with him. And then he says, be wise in the way you act towards others. And this is the second challenge here is that I want you to live, he says, to live different. It starts with our actions. We often think that we that we can just get out there and be jerks with people, that we can somehow be that, that obnoxious Christian that so badly gets the reputations uh, at work and on TV and with other people. He says, man, you need to be intentional, but you also need to be wise. You need to live differently. You see, we need to earn the right. We need to earn the right to be heard. 
Why? Because we don't want to turn people away. And it says towards others. Now, I want to focus on that. That means when it says be wise to others, that means we are not to belittle people. We're not to look down on people. We are not to be self-righteous. In fact, in the next verse, he says that we are to speak with grace and carefully. We are to have compassion. The whole towards outsiders means that God does not uh, um, make a difference between race, gender, age, economic status, political choice. It comes down to those who know God and those who do not. He says, be wise, man. There's a whole pool of people in the world. There's 7 billion people on the planet right now, give or take few million and very small number only three billion have bowed the knee to christ that's a lot of people at work there's a lot of and here's i heard this stat the other way if if the world were a hundred people then only three would be christians and only one would be telling the world about jesus that's one out of a hundred people are actually saying how much Jesus loves them and cares for them. He says, you know, you need to be intentional. You need to live a life that reflects and causes people to ask about you. You see, when you get to heaven, there will be no Americans in heaven. There will only be those who are citizens of the kingdom of God. Do you know or do you not know the saving hand of Jesus Christ? He goes on to say this is make the most of every opportunity. That means when you've prayed for the door and that opportunity knocks, you answer the door. I, I see this all the time. Uh, you, you know, uh, somebody says, uh, tell me about, about God. Tell me about what you're doing. You know, or they don't even ask you, but they're telling you about their, their struggles, their trials. If you've got a coworker that says, you know what, man, I'm re- they open up finally. You've, you've built a sense of trust. You care for them. They care for you. And all of a sudden they say, you know what? I'm going through a real difficult time. And uh, man, I'm just, our marriage is in trouble. You know, all of a sudden you have a door knocking. Well, yeah, I know someone who can bring peace in a storm. And, I, and can I pray for you? Just invite the person to be open to prayer and, and pray for them. And here's a radical, crazy thing. Pray on the spot. Pray right there in person. Like actually pray right there at work, you know, or in the back room or in the clock room or in the car, you know, when you're walking out to the car and the person talks or at lunch and take a moment, man. Those are powerful moments. That's when the opportunity shows up to to say a word, to, to plant a seed, to water what God is doing in their life. You answer that door. First Peter 3.15 Peter, the apostle, says this, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. Everybody say, always be prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience. That means that you are living a life that reflects Christ. So that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. That means don't live a life that gives them a reason to say that dude's a hypocrite and a liar. Don't trust him. But live a life that's living different in front of them. It doesn't mean living perfect. It just means being an authentic follower of Christ and being honest with your failures, honest with your struggles, being the real deal, living a life that reflects Christ, being honest about your failures and being prepared to give an answer to those that are around you. He says, this is about being wise. And then he says this. He says, uh, this whole idea of being wise, make the most, is I, I have this added, is it create questions, not conflict. We're not there to start an argument with somebody. We're not there to, to try to convince somebody. We're not there to, to uh, you know, reason someone to exhaustion. Because um, I see that, man. Check, I've won that one. It's a debate. You drop the mic on that conversation, and, and you know what? You might have dropped the mic on that relationship too because uh, all of a sudden they, they don't feel like they can talk to someone who feels like they have. You know, the, one of the greatest things you could ever say to somebody when they ask you spiritual questions is, I don't know. There's nothing wrong with not knowing. You don't have to know all the answers. You need to be prepared to give clearly uh, the answers that you do have, but it's okay to say, I don't know. Create questions, not 
conflict. Don't go looking for trouble. I, you know, don't walk into work. I dare someone to cuss around me. I dare. I don't, you know, ugh, you know, and it, we live in a vulgar culture. All right, man, I, I had, uh, um, you know, I've been in ministry for uh, 23 years this year and I've had jobs outside of ministry as of recently, just a few years back. I was working at Texas Credit Union, worked there for a few years. Uh, and uh, I tell you, man, it was, you know, everybody there knew I was a pastor. They called me Pastor Ted or, or Father Ted because a lot of them were Catholic and they didn't know any different. And uh, they, but you know what? They swore like crazy. And I never once said, you watch your language. <laughs> My virgin ears have never heard that kind of stuff before. <laughs> you know what? Be a model for Christ. Don't you talk like that. You live differently. Don't look for trouble. You know, some people like just, just bring up abortion. Come on. Bring up President Obama. I'm ready. You know, as somehow Republicans are more Christian than Democrats. Create questions, <laughs> not conflict. That may be true, but I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm just kidding about it. We don't know. Man, there is a lot of Republicans that need Jesus big. And there's a lot of Democrats I know that have Jesus. Right? And there's a lot of Democrats that need Jesus big too because this, Jesus is not about, you know, moderate, Republican, libertarian. You know, Jesus is, it, you know what Jesus' form of government is? It's a monarchy where he's the king on the throne. So just kind of deal with that. Again, when we stand before God, it's not going to be I was a patriot of America. Is I was a follower of Jesus Christ. I believe in the blood uh, shed for me on the cross and the resurrection of Christ that, that raised me into a new life with him. That's what we are going to have to be held accountable to know. Uh, you know, we all have our political opinions, and that's cool. If you have a good friendship where you can talk about those things uh, and even disagree and have fun with the debate of those things, go for it, because I love to do that. But, you know, that's never the mi- uh, the mission of Christ. Uh, that that might be just a, something that we feel convicted that we need to do or talk about, but create questions, not conflict. That's how Jesus did things, by the way. Most of the time, anytime anybody asked him a question, he responded with a question so that they might discover the truth. Uh, live a life that demands an explanation. If you're living a life like Colossians 1, 2, and 3, like over the last weeks, people will start asking you about you. Here's the last thing. Colossians 4, 6 says this. It says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And this is the last thing I want you to, to be, is that be aware of your speech and attitude. Be aware of your speech and attitude. Uh, let your walk uh, reflect your talk and let your talk reflect your walk. There's a sense that, um, but you don't understand where I work. You don't understand the culture. You know, man, we're a bunch of truckers over here, you know. Or we're, you know, you don't understand, man. We're a bunch of gamers or whatever. That doesn't sound like gamers. We're a bunch of gamers. So it's, <laughs> we work on computers all day. <laughs> Just kidding. I love computers. and uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a nerd myself, you know. It's like, <laughs> I better stop because I was about, <laughs> about to say something. Uh, I'm my own geek squad. Um, there's a sense that you don't understand where I work. You, you know what? You don't understand the culture in which they lived. He was writing to a church that was in a culture that was way more, way more progressive than ours in a bad way. I mean, they had open prostitution everywhere. Most churches were all, in fact, there was no Christian church in Colossae except for one, and it was a little house church. And all of the other churches were pagan churches, and they didn't just worship idols. Many of those churches had open sex experiences in the church as part of the worship. I mean, every there was open marriages was were a, a normal part of the culture. You know, oppression and 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 misuse of people, uh, injustice was a normal part of their culture. And and Paul saying, uh, be different, stand out. Let your words reflect a new kind of life, a new kind of attitude. You know, we're like, well, you don't understand the culture. Man, Christians are persecuted. We, you know, you don't understand their culture. And if they can do it, you can do it. 
You have the same spirit that they had to stand up and be bold. You have the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead. You can be bold. Matthew uh, tells a story about how Peter, uh, when Jesus was being crucified, Peter was watching, uh, you know, in the courtyard. And the Bible says that he was watching Jesus and someone recognized Peter as a disciple while Jesus was being crucified. He said, hey, you're one of them. And Peter says, no, I'm not. And then all of a sudden, if you look it up, it says, ah, we know you're one of them. Your speech gives you away. He says, the way that you're talking, the way that you're walking, the the way that you're acting gives it away. You belong to Christ. And you know what he immediately did to disprove them? He began to cuss at them. The Bible says that Peter began to swear at them and cuss at them. He changed his speech to reflect a different person. You know what? Our speech can give us away in a good way or in a bad way. He says, let your speech, he says, be, let your conversation be different. Is your speech different? Is it different at work than it is here at church? Is it, do you have a more liberal tongue at school than you do at home? Uh, is the way that you treat and talk to your coworkers on base or at the office or with your friends different than the way you talk and the speech you give when you're at home or with your Christian friends the Bible says in Luke six forty five that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Sometimes we forget, you know, well, that's, I just got to be, I'm a different person at work. Then, then you're not the same person. You're a hypocrite. And Paul says it's time to be aware that your speech and your attitude could actually lead somebody away from Christ. With that, he says, always be full of grace. That means offer grace, not judgment. Give grace to those who you know and to those that you don't know. Grace is this, getting what you don't deserve. That's what it means. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. See, when you give your life to Christ, he gives you mercy because you deserve hell. But he gives you eternity with him. That's grace. You get what you don't deserve. See, here's how it works. You look at your guys at work or your friends at school or at work and you go, you know what? That person's a jerk. That person's rude. They don't deserve to be treated kindly. They don't deserve to be treated with respect. They don't deserve patience. You're right. They probably don't. But that's why grace is so important because grace is giving what they don't deserve. So when the Bible says be a person of grace and to talk with grace and to be a gracious person, person we are to give what people don't deserve and that is kindness gentleness patience love respect we give what they don't deserve because that's what christians do that's what someone leading by the spirit does we live and we talk and we speak different the bible never says we are to judge those who are non-believers we are to love them like jesus did he hung out with liars, with pimps, with prostitutes and drug dealers, the downtrodden, the abandoned and left out. We are to love and show grace and hand out redemption. Our love should be a megaphone. Our love should be louder than anything else that comes out of our life. The way that we treat others, the grace, the respect, the kindness, the compassion is a megaphone to the world that speaks louder than almost anything we could say. He says, you're Life and your speech are to be the same. He says, when that happens, that was an accident. (laughs) When that happens, things get on fire. (laughs) People start asking questions. Things begin to change. We're not here to judge you at Living Way Church. I want you to come and be you. Be yourself. And hopefully you'll meet Jesus, the lover of your soul, the creator of who you are, who created and designed you for purpose. And hopefully as you discover Christ, after you meet Jesus and allow him to change you from the inside out, we will walk with you through whatever that means for you. Because there might be things that once you meet Christ, that God will want to work out of your life and we will walk with you through that. But I'm not here to condemn or judge. I'm here to walk with you, 
help you meet Christ and then help you to know him and reflect him more and more in your life. This is the point. People need an answer, not an argument. Let your life and words point to a reason, a reason why you're different. So here's the last thing I want to mention. We're going to read the last part of Colossians and we're going to pray. The one final question is this. How do you know if you're sharing your life? How do you know if you are effectively making a difference at work? How do you know if you're making a difference in your family? If you're making a difference uh, with your friends at school? How do you know? Well, Paul gives us a how do you know example. Let's answer that by reading this final passages of Colossians. It's kind of lengthy, but listen to this. Colossians 4 verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. He brought you the letter back. Uh, he's, he's the one that brought them the letter back. He says, I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstance and that me, he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. Remember, that's the runaway slave who came back, who left a slave, came back a brother. He says he's coming with Onesimus, that guy. And he says, and they will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, uh, Aristarchus, that's an interesting, uh, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him if he comes to you and welcome him. Mark is the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark in the Bible. And he says, uh, verse 11, Jesus, who is called Justice, also says hello. He sends his greetings. Uh, These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, that's their pastor, who is one of you and a servant of the Lord Jesus, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and faithfully assured. He says, I vowed for him. He is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea. And Heropolis, uh, that's the Tri-City area where they're at. He says, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, that's the guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke. Um, he says, and Damas, they say, hey, what up? They say, they send their greetings. Verse 15, give my greetings to the brothers that lay out of sea and to Nympha and to the church in their house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read of the church at Laodiceans and that in turn you read the letter from Laodicea. Pass it around. He says, and tell Archippus, that's Philemon's son, who's uh, supposed to be heading the church up now that Epaphras is gone. He says, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. He says, encourage them in the Lord. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, Remember my chains. Don't forget me. I won't forget you. Grace be with you. Amen. And that's where it ends. Is there anything that stands out to you in that last section? Anything that stands out to you? You know what stands out to me? All the names. All the names. Paul names people who have touched his life and whose life he touches. He strives to follow up with those that he cares for. Guys, listen. If you're wanting to know if you're making a difference, if you're wanting to know if if Christ is using you, here's the question. Who are the names? Who are the names? What are the names of the people that are following alongside you as you follow Christ? Who are the names that can say, this person was instrumental in helping me to know Christ. This person prayed for me. This person invited me. This person showed love to me. Your friend, your spouse, your kids, that coworker, can you name any? I'm going to ask you something. Can you name any right now, just to yourself? Can you name any on the back of your worship guide? I challenge you. Think about it. Write down. If you can't name any, then pray that God will open a door. Pray that God will give you clarity. Live a life that's different, that reflects him. Be wise with your conduct and be aware of your speech and attitude. Be a missionary. Next week, we're going to talk about how to do that with a new series called Move. I want to end with Colossians 2.6, our theme verse. He says, so then, as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So keep growing. Let's get loud. Let's not get obnoxious.
get the megaphone out. You need to buy one to be one. Let your life reflect the grace, mercy, love, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the things that 1 Corinthians say that look like love. Let the love of Christ be reflected in you. Be loud. And watch what God can do in your life. I'm going to ask the band to come, and we're going to worship God for a while. And I want to pray that God would do some, some ministry on your heart. That God would challenge you. That God would begin to name some people that you have a heart for. You know, some of you, you're on assignment, and those people have yet to know of the hope of Christ in you. I pray that God would give you a sense of direction with your family, with your coworkers, with your friends in this area. That you can think about someone that needs to know Christ, and that God would give you the courage and boldness to stand up and make a difference. But it begins with prayer. So I want us to stand right now. We're going to worship the Lord. And if you're in this room, I want you to know that probably the greatest thing you could ever hear in your whole life, and that is that Jesus loves you, that Jesus cares for you, that Jesus gave his life for you. We're here today because of what Christ has done for us. And I want to encourage you that while we worship the Lord, if you've never bowed the knee to Christ, if you've never said yes to Jesus, take a moment just to let these songs be a heart cry to you as you reach out to Christ. He will forgive you. His grace is big enough and strong enough to forgive you of anything you've ever done, anything you've ever experienced, any place you've ever gone, any any place that your feet have ever taken and things your hands have ever touched. God, His grace is great and, and rich. His love is vast and deep and wide and As we worship, will you just talk to him and receive that grace, that forgiveness, and turn to him? Father, thank you so much that you've given your life for us, that we might be a megaphone to the world, that we can tell the world of your love, of your grace, of your mercy. And God, today, let our voices raise loud as we worship together and declare your goodness in our life. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.